Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Jake, and I want to talk to you tonight about parenting through or in a hypersexualized culture. So I understand that not everyone here and not everyone watching is a parent of young children or teenage children, but I do think that this message is applicable to everyone because you may have grandchildren, you may have fr- uh, uh, friends that have little kids, and I'm just really a strong advocate for being well-rounded Christians who can help others in their journey of parenting as well. So this will hit... Um, parents uh, who, who have a traditional family, and it'll also hit blended families. It'll also hit single parents. I think the principles we'll give can actually cross into every realm of parenting. And before I get started really into the message, I, I uh, wanted to really say that sex is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. God is the creator of sex. When I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, some of you are like, whoa, he's like really jumping into this. Yes, I'm going there, okay? We're going there. It's real talk. And when I'm going through pre-marriage counseling, I'll have a session in, with the couples, the engaged couples that are getting married, and we'll talk about sex. And this is kind of what I like to say to them. Okay, on your marriage night, you're, you're going to do the deed, okay? And I want to warn you, God is not looking away when you have sex, People are just like, okay, I don't want to get that imagery that God's watching me. But no, we need to get that imagery. Because it is not an isolated incident in which God is not involved. In Matthew 19, it says, What God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, culture has, has taught us that sex is casual, carnal, and a worldly thing. But if you trace it to its root in Genesis, God is the creator of sex. It says, let the two become one, and they will become one, and it will be good, and they won't be ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. And so that the devil is, he's the great deceiver, he's the great manipulator, and so he has taken what is good, and he has perverted perverted it to the nth degree, and that's where we are in culture today, where we have just a very hypersexualized culture where it's infused into our phone life, into the sporting life, into the music life, into every area of life. It seems that there are, there are powers that are trying to sexualize everything that happens. I, and and I, I won't go into it, but we're, I was watching a movie with my kids. It was Cars. Like, Cars is such a great movie. And it's like there are, sec- uh, there were like, uh, there are sexual innuendos in Cars. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? Why are, why are we doing this to our kids? And so this, my point in this is let's give some principles to, number one, deal with our own hearts, but also to parent our young kids so that they can grow up to love and serve Jesus. Amen? I want to start off by sharing a, a psalm. I felt this was a good way to start, specifically on one of the verses that I want to share with you. It's in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. 
Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously in lands, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Here's the part that I want you to focus on. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I've sensed in our Christian culture many parents and people who are afraid. They're afraid of the influence of culture on their kids. They're afraid of the school and the teachers and the influences in school. And I've sensed that there is much anxiety among parents. And to be fair, rightly so. There are, we are in uncharted territories as a culture when it comes to raising kids in a hypersexualized world, in a hyper-technological world, and how we do that well. But I want to remind you what it says here in verse 7. It says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be, uh, be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Specifically, I wanted to speak to maybe parents or grandparents who have kids or family members who have recently identified as LGBTQ or maybe they've come out with a contrary lifestyle to what, than what you're than what you raised them with or what you instilled with them. And I want to encourage you that their story is not over yet. And that do not fall to anxiety and fear. And that your prayers, that your lifestyle matters. There's a saying from, there's a frank, saying from an evangelist um, in the 1900s. And he said this quote, he said, prostitutes are, prostitutes, um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going to look at my notes. Okay, let me, if I don't talk about prostitutes, I'll probably just get the quote right, okay? <laughs> Bear with me here. Let me find it. Pro- prostitutes don't know it, but all they're really looking for is Jesus. You see... Our culture is extending into sexual perversion not because, well it is because it's evil and they're doing the deeds of darkness, but at the core of it, they just need Jesus and they just don't know it. And so if you have a family member, if you have someone in your life that you're concerned about the the trajectory of your life, I'm going to remind you to not be afraid of bad news. For your heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. So I want to give you three uh, things to start doing today to prepare yourself to parent your kids or to be a leader in your realm of influence in a hyper-sexualized culture. I want to give you three principles for parenting. The first principle is start with your heart. So the first principle for, for raising and helping and influencing other people is to start with yourself. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all uh, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Our kids, there's a story of this young boy who was acting out in school, and he was acting out very inappropriately, and his parents were at odds of what to do. 
And so the parents go to the counselor and they're complaining to the counselor saying, what am I going to do? My kid's doing this. My kid's doing this. My kid's disrespecting me here. He's using this, his phone to do this. He's disobeying us. He's talking back to teachers. He's doing all these things. And they're going to the counselor to say, help me fix my kid. And the counselor said this, how's your marriage? And the counselor went on to show these parents that the way that they interacted with each other and loved Jesus was actually influencing how their child was behaving. And so I'm not here to blame any parent. I'm not here to say it's your fault, but I am here to reveal a principle that your movement towards Jesus affects your children, not just you. And that when you love Jesus deeply, it's better than any message you could ever preach your kid. It's better than any lesson you could teach them. It's better when you love Jesus with humility, authenticity on a daily basis, not perfect, but when you slowly but steadily move towards Jesus specifically in your own sexual life, God sees that your words would become more powerful to your children than if you have your secret sexual sin. And so here's my point, is that if we want to raise our kids in a hypersexualized culture, we have to actually do the work ourselves. We actually have to study our own hearts. We have to bring ourselves before God and say, God, before I look at culture and judge it, let me take the plank out of my own eye so that I can see the speck in their eye and judge rightly. And so my, my, my encouragement is if we're going to raise our kids, we, it needs to start with our own hearts. We need to understand the love that God has for us. This is what I've sensed in myself towards culture. I've sensed that, that, that the mindset of the Pharisee in Luke 18 has actually had an influence in me, and I'm praying through it. Luke 18, 11 says this, the Pharisee standing uh, by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. And then, God, uh, the, the next verse, I don't, I don't think I included it in the notes. This Pharisee was pridefully saying, God, thank you that I'm not like culture. And there was another man, a sinner, who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he said, that man went home justified. The Pharisee went home condemned. So the point is, is that we can judge culture all we want, but what would we expect from a godless culture anyway? Why would we judge them who don't know the truth? We need to look in the mirror, take the plank out and say, God, I am a sinner. God, cleanse my heart. Remove any wicked way in me. God, I realize that I need to grow towards you. And as I grow towards you, I trust that you're going to take care of my kids, my grandkids, my family, because my life will not be a message I preach. It'll be a light that shines. And then when the Lord sees that I'm a trustworthy agent, a trustworthy disciple, then he will do a work on the people around me and you won't have to start the conversation with them they will start the conversation with you I've seen it countless and countless times but it takes an individual person who says you know what I'm going after the Lord's heart to cleanse my own heart I mentioned it multiple times this morning 65% of men in the church who attend regularly are watching pornography once a month 15% of women in the church 
are watching pornography once a month. I am not saying that to condemn you. I am saying that there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. There is a way out, and it is called coming to the light. There is a way out, and it is called obedience to Jesus Christ. And the fruit of coming to Jesus in obedience is life and peace. The fruit of hiding in darkness is that you can get consumed by sin, and more sin piles on top of it. I would urge you to come to the light. It's not just your life, it's your family's life, it's your workplace, the, the, your uh, co-worker's life, because your life matters tremendously. You could say, Jake, you don't understand my story, you don't know what happened to me, you don't know what runs in my family. Listen, we need to be a people who learn to recognize when the devil is lying to us. See, because he brings up your past, he brings up my past so often. Look what you did, look what you did, look what you did. We need to continue to learn to say this one phrase. I may have did what you said, you said I did, but I am not who you say I am, devil. I am not an adulterer, I am not an addict, I am not sexually immoral, I am not this. Whatever it is that you struggle with, you say, I may struggle, but I am not that. It may run in your family, but we need to be a people who say it runs out with me. God is a God of redemption. He is not looking just to improve your family lineage. lineage. He is looking to renovate, completely transform your entire family to where it looks nothing like where you came from because you have a new father. Your father is way better than your earthly father. He's known you from the beginning and he's looking to transform your life so that you and your family can be saved and blessed. So the first principle is, let's start with our own hearts. Let's start with ourselves before we look to influence others. And the second principle is start talking to your kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is a principle with parenting. It is the power of first mention. Everyone say that with me. Say the power of first mention. Now I understand that we have some uh, parents in the room that maybe have high school age kids or young adult uh, age kids and you may have be past this stage of the power of first mention but I will reference it to you in case you ever have the ability to speak into the life of a parent with young children. The power of first mention says this, that wherever a child learns something for the first time will be the dominant worldview in which they will carry for the rest of their life. And so my question is, where are our kids learning about sex? If, our, if parents, if, if we are not teaching our kids about sex, they will be learning it from someone else. The power of first mention. Now, I'm not saying that you should go and explicitly explain everything to your six-year-old child. But I am saying that you can start utilizing this, this, um, this principle with your children with other topics that are more appropriate. So at a young age, we want to start teaching and training our kids that if they have questions, they don't go to Siri, they go to mom. We want to start training our kids that when they have a question, that nothing is off limits. We want to start training them that when they have, when they have concerns or feelings or, or, or things, they come to us and then we are, as parents, the filter in which they, that we are the filter for their 
experiences in life. Our children do not understand the world. They're not cognitively able to perceive and take in the information in a way that will allow them to conclude and reduce what they're experiencing to a logical philosophy of life. It's our job as parents and grandparents to help them filter what they're going through, what they're hearing, and what they're seeing. So the power of first mention starts from a younger age than what will be needed to to talk about sex and sexuality. What I'll note here is that you will never be able to protect your kids from everything. This is a really hard one as a parent. I I was introduced to pornography at 11 years old. I come from a very conservative Christian family. And I found it. In a lot of ways, I felt like it found me. And then once it found me, I was stuck. And my sin nature told me to hide, so I did for like 12 years. You can't protect your kids from everything, but what you can do is you can build trust with them so when they do experience trauma, when they do experience things that kids shouldn't experience, that they go to you and not to someone else. The power of first start talking to your kids, train them up in the ways they should go. Our goal should never be to shield them from all evil. Our goal is to build trust and establish ourselves as authorities in their lives. Let me tell you, in order to do this, you have to learn something. I learned this pastoring, and I think it's going to translate well to parenting. It's called the game face. Are you guys ready for this? The game face is when someone tells you something so crazy, you have to keep a game face on. Meaning that when they tell you something that you're like, where did you learn that? Like, your eyes can't get big. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, when you tell someone something, they're like, I do not know how to handle this. <laughs> like, I do not know. I was not ready for this conversation. You're only seven years old. You have to be ready. Because if your kids go to school, if your kids have an iPad, if your kids have any interaction with other kids, even here at church, they will hear things that you weren't prepared to talk about. So you got to get your game face. So go, your assignment tonight is to go in the mirror and like work on your game face, okay? <laughs> it is staying calm when you have to talk about things that you are not ready to talk about. This ha- Luckily, I get practice all the time. People come to me, they, they tell me things as a pastor all the time, and I'm like, okay, I'm like staying calm. Inside, I'm like, Holy Spirit, you need to show up. <laughs> like, I have no idea what to say right now. Just all sorts of things, and, and I'm honored to walk with people, and you, God's given place to you as a, as a person in your child's life that you need to work on your game face. So go home, look in the mirror, and work on it. <laughs> uh, extra credit would be um, having, if you have a spouse, it would be to have a spouse or maybe someone else, they, they pretend to be the kid and they bring something up. And you can, no, I'm kidding, you don't have to role play, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. So, I wanna, so we talked about building trust. I want to give you three things to do to start building trust with your kids right now. Have conversations early. Um, I'd mentioned it, but there's a debate on the actual statistic, but I've seen two different statistics. And so basically what I'll say is the average age of exposure to explicit sexual images, so the average age of introduction to explicit sexual images is between 8 and 12 years old. That means that children will see naked images of either the same sex or the opposite sex, 
between the ages of eight and 12 years old. And I know what some of you are thinking. No, we don't do iPads or smartphones, not my kids. But guess what? Your, fr- your kid has friends. Your kid has friends. And you can't control everything. And so you have to be ready to have these conversations early. And then the younger they are, the more that we are informing them on reality, not having conversations about reality. So the younger your child is, so you might have young children, you're informing them. This is what this is. This is what that is. This is how this works. This is, is there any, so let me give you this tip though. This is a great statement for a young kid who you're kind of concerned about what should I share, what should I not share, okay? What should I share, what should I not share? This is a great statement. I will answer any question that you have about sex or sexuality. Do you just say that to your nine-year-old? I will answer any question. And maybe you frame it in a way that you feel comfortable with, but any question that you have, I will answer it. You come to me. Because here's the deal. If they don't come to you, they'll go to the internet. And they will search that body part. They will search that sexual act that their friend was talking about at school. They'll look it up online, and that's where they'll they'll learn about it. So let's have conversations early. Remember the game face. Game face. You need your game face. So if you feel you're behind, let's say you have a kid in the teenage years, um, you feel like you have a kid in your teenage years, you have a kid in young adult years, and you feel like you've totally drop the ball on this and you're kind of kicking yourself right now, listen, do not kick yourself. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is right now. If you will invite the Holy Spirit, do the work in your own heart and say, God, would you please reintroduce the influence that I can have on my teenage son or daughter? God, would you rebuild that trust so that I can walk with them even though I may have missed six years? Can you help me redeem the time to help my child navigate what they're going through in high school or college? I promise you, if you'll get serious with your own heart and you'll pray that prayer to God, he'll rebuild the trust over time. Listen, you may have lost out on years, but God is the redeemer of time. He's the redeemer of all things. And that nothing that's been lost cannot be redeemed. I was introduced to porn. God has redeemed all of it. He's redeemed all of my sexual brokenness in history. And now he has made made me an agent to destroy the works of the enemy. And I feel like the same is for your kids too. They may be going through things that you didn't imagine they'd go through, but if you will get serious with God and say, God, I am not advocating my responsibility, I'm doubling down. And I would say, God, if you would grant me that influence, I will use it for your kingdom. Watch him show up in your family's life. He's able, friends. Amen? So first principle is have the conversations early. If you've missed out, God is still able. Have the conversations consistently. So there's this idea, right? When I say the talk, most of you know what I'm talking about. The talk. I think the talk is the most ridiculously stupid idea I've ever heard in my life. I think the idea of talking to a, I think I was like 10 years old, a 10-year-old about sexual anatomy and saying, good enough for the rest of their life is a pretty ridiculous mindset to have because your kid is learning about sex every day, whether you know it or not. Movies, music, the mall, all of it, Snapchat, Instagram, you name it, he or she is learning about sex and even more so than ever, there are influences that are evil and wicked that are trying to convince our kids about their sexual identity that is contrary to their human flourishing and contrary to the word of God. So we need to have it early and we need to have those conversations often or consistently. 
And when we talk about sex, when we talk about sexuality, this probably would be for more for middle school age, high school age, young adult age. We don't only need to explain boundaries. So most, most talks that happen between for sex with kids or specifically middle school, high school, is they'll say, hey, God made sex. He made it good. He made it for married people in the covenant of marriage. Okay, you got that? Speak it, uh, say it back to me. Take some notes. Okay, you understand. Sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. Say it with me. Sex is, we'll just like drill it in our kids' brains. But the thing is, that's only a boundary. And I know me. <laughs> you give me a boundary. I'm going to get right up on that boundary. And lo and behold, the wind of the devil get behind me. I'm crossing that boundary. Lo and behold, I remember I was in eighth grade and a girl messages me in eighth grade inviting me to come over to her house to make out with her. In eighth grade, what am I supposed, my mom told me, but it's like hormones kick in, all these things kick in and it's just like, what am I supposed to do? And You know what I mean? It's just, your kids are dealing with real things and that was like back with, when it was instant messaging. You know what I mean? And like, now they're like Snapchatting and and you may not know this, but one of the most common things that young people are doing are sending naked images to each other over social media. So it's not just, hey, come over and make out. It is, hey, look what I'm not wearing. Do you want to come hang out? And it is real. It is happening at a rate that would scare all of us if we truly knew how prevalent it was. So what's my point? To scare you? A little bit. My point is to scare you and to say God is able if we'll be willing vessels, if we'll be serious and prayerful. You need to not only explain boundaries, you need to under, explain the purpose of sex. Why did God create sex in the first place? I'm going to give you a brief biblical explanation of the purpose of sex. If you're taking notes, this would be a great time to take notes. The purpose of sex is found in the purpose of marriage, since sex was made for marriage between one man and one woman. The purpose of sex is found in the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? In Genesis 1, he says, in the beginning he created them male and female. He created them in the image of God. So God, man and woman were created in the image of God. In Genesis 2, it talks about how Eve was taken out of man and she is bone of, her, uh, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, and the two will be joined together and they'll become one. So it's this imagery that Adam, man, Eve, woman were created by God and their manhood, womanhood uh, represented the image of God. They represented God. And when man and woman were joined in marriage, it was a full expression of the image of God. And sex was the thing that God created in which he bound man and woman together to image or to represent God. And so God is love. When we have marriages that are flourishing under the influence and the foundation of Jesus Christ, they are to be... Um, a beacon of light of self-sacrificial love. And so the, the goal of marriage is to, is to show people the love of God. The goal of marriage is to say, I will lay down my life willingly for you. You will lay your life down willingly for me. 
Just like Jesus willingly lay down his life for us. Now, some of us are like, Jake, you're living in fairy tale land. <laughs> Have you seen the divorce rates? Have you seen our culture? Listen, do not look to human weakness to find truth, friends. If you look to human weakness to find your reality, you will live constantly in human weakness. But if you look to the truth, ooh, the truth will set you free. It will set you free. So marriage is designed to image or represent the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And sex, you asked what the purpose of sex was? You didn't, I asked for you. You asked what the purpose of sex was. It is to motivate self-sacrificial love in marriage. It is intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. That is the purpose of sex found scripturally. Matthew 19 says, a man, Jesus is talking. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What who God has joined together, let not man separate. So when people, two people have sex, there is intimacy that happens when it's done in a covenant marriage. God joins them. But the crazy thing is that even when two people who aren't married have sex, they get joined as one. Because 1 Corinthians 7 says that if you have sex with a prostitute, you become one with her. So the goal of sex, the purpose of sex, is, to, is intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love in marriage. That is the purpose. Some of you were never told that. Some of you were told, I don't know what you were told. I don't know what you were taught. The second purpose of marriage, there are three purposes. The second purpose is procreation. To fill the earth, Genesis 1, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. And the third purpose is pleasure. God created it for us to enjoy. Now, here's what I'll tell you. I don't, you're going to get it. What is culture's purpose for sex? Pleasure. So God's, you know, when he created sex, intimacy that motivates self, self, sacrificial love and marriage, procreation, pleasure. What does culture say the purpose is? Pleasure. It to, the devil flipped the purpose of sex. So now we think our sex drive was given to us so that we could fulfill our desires. Listen, friends, the truth will set you free. You are not given your sex drive for pleasure. You are not given your sex drive just to have kids. You were given, we were given and created as sexual beings so that we might someday in marriage have intimacy with spouse that motivates self-sacrificial love. That is the purpose of sex. And let me tell you, friends, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with any, any other sexual sin in your life, consider God's purpose for sex as intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love and watch your temptation start going under control. Because my desire is not the boss. It's not the highest aim of my sex drive. My, the highest aim of my sex drive as a human is not pleasure. My highest aim now, because I've sought the truth and the truth has set me free, the reason I have desire is so that I can love my wife self-sacrificially so that my boys can see what love looks like, so my neighbors can see what love looks like, so my world can see what loves look like. It is all about God's kingdom. It is all about his glory. It is all about his wisdom. And the world has perverted it in such a way that we can't even see up from down when we talk about sex. 
We're just like, oh, don't, don't talk about it. And yet we all go and we watch online. It's a strange, it's a strange reality. We're like, don't, don't talk about it. And yet we get drawn in when no one's looking to the perverted and corrupted expression of what sex was designed for. Shows me that the devil has captured our imagination of what sex is really about. And I'm trying to spark us and say, let God capture your imagination for the true purpose of your sex, sexual drive. Let him capture you and say it's more than your body. It's more than your desires. It is a spiritual yearning to image and represent God. And if you're single, listen, if you're single, you might be like, well, Jake, I'm widowed. Jake, I'm, I'm single. How do I do this then? Listen, marriage is a vocation for some on the earth. Singleness is another vocation. And it is equally as valuable to image to your world that sex is not God. People think, how could I ever live without having sex? Listen, you can find such fulfillment in Christ and understand that you can still fulfill the purpose of sex without it at all. It is intimacy that motivates what? Self-sacrificial love. If you have intimacy with God in your heart and prayer life, you can become the love of God to the world and show them what love looks like. You see, marriage has a place in God's kingdom and singleness has a place in God's kingdom. And the devil in this world will corrupt you and say that sex is God and that you should be able to do whatever you want to do with your body. Listen, my body is not my own. I was bought with a price. And I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit and should I use this temple for impurity? By no means. I should use this temple that God bought with his precious blood to honor him and to glorify and expand his kingdom. So have conversations consistently. Explain the why. And listen, I just gave you a lot. Some of you need to go and search this out on your own. What is the why behind sex? Because someday you will have to have a, you will have a conversation with your kids or with someone and this has to be inside of us as a, as a culture, as a church community. Because we, got, we have to start talking with the people in our world about why we believe what we believe, not just the boundaries. The third thing, to build trust with your kids. Third way is have grace. Have grace for yourself and grace for your child. Listen, these conversations are every conversation that we'll have in this room with kids or family members or grandkids, it'll all be different. Like, every situation is different. For some of you, it's gonna be... Uh, it's going to be conversations about gender identity. For some, it's going to be conversations about pornography. For some, it's going to be conversations about body parts. For some, it's going to be conversations about friends that are, that are LGBTQ. For some, it's, it's just, there's such a wide range of conversations. You need to have grace for yourself, but also for your kids. They're being raised in a hyper-sexualized culture, and it's our job as parents not to beat them over the head and make sure they stay in line, but to get in the fight with them and say, hey, I'm with you. Because the goal is we want our kids to run to us when they're struggling, not away from us. That is the goal. We want them to run to us. So we must have grace for ourselves, and we must avoid this trap. Let me tell you a huge trap for parents is feeling embarrassed by their kids' behavior. Some of us, we parent our kids and we want them to get in line because we feel embarrassed when we come to church. We talk to our friends and your friend's kids are thriving and your kids are not thriving. Listen, God has your kids on a journey. He has my kids on a journey. And you do not need to be afraid. 
Don't you dare look in the mirror and blame yourself. You get on your knees and you pray and say, thank you, God, the prayers that I prayed when they were two, are, they're coming to pass. Don't you dare blame yourself. Get in the fight. Get on your knees in prayer. Have grace for yourself and have grace for your children. So, we got to start talking to our kids. And one of the areas that I think we do need to start talking is with phones. Now, I'm not here to give a prescription on what you should do with phones, but I will say that, that phones are extremely dangerous. iPads are extremely dangerous. And I'm going to give you a tip, and all the middle schoolers and high schoolers are going to hate me for this. But when some middle school kids, high school kids, get their phones taken away, they, there are... There's almost an unlimited, amount of, uh, uh, unlimited supply of phones at schools, and so they will get a, a phone from a friend to connect to Wi-Fi, and they'll have unlimited internet access, even when you take their phone away. So it's not just don't get them a phone. It's being a responsible and present parent and, and being aware that there are temptations from the culture, and they will find ways to sin. They will find ways to do what they want to do. And I'm saying have grace for them, but also realize that we need to be extremely responsible with our kids' phone usages. It is where the damage is done for this generation. Some people, magazines were the thing, DVDs were the thing, you know, you had the internet and you were still looking at images with dial-up and it was the scariest thing in the world because it took so long. But now these kids have internet access, 5G, LTE. And it's our job as parents not to be their friends, but to be their parents. My, uh, we have a family member, she's a, an adult woman who has kids, and a few years back she was doing a test to see what would happen if she created a, a fake account on Instagram, and so she put pictures on an Instagram account of herself when she was 12 years old, and she created a new account, and within, within one day she had, um, I think it was eight messages from older men asking for her phone number. So it's not just what they'll find is images, it's also who they'll meet. There are evil predators among us. And as parents, we have to be aware of this, especially for our young girls. My third point that I want to make, my first point was start with your heart. Second point, start talking to your kids. Third, start declaring the power of the gospel. 20, roughly 20% of Gen Z, that's people ages 15 to 26, identify as part of the LGBTQ community. Let me tell you that again. People ages 15 to 26, one out of five of them will identify as LGBTQ. I was having a conversation with my wife, and we were in the car, our 09 Honda Pilot, and we were talking about this, and she, she had said, like, Jake, do you think it's possible that one of our kids will identify as LGBTQ? And I said, maybe. And, you know, as a conservative, Christian conservative, it starts to make your heart rate go up a little bit. But the Spirit spoke to me in the moment in that car. And he said, trust the gospel. Whether it's pornography, whether it's heterosexual sin, whether it's same-sex sexual sin, no matter what kind of sin it is, it is a miracle of the God that the gospel can save a sinner. 
So no matter what your kid deals with, the gospel is sufficient to save their soul. Do not get caught up in fear of our culture that blows in the wind and tries to make everyone fearful so that you'll buy the next thing. Double down on the power of the gospel. Jesus is the only one able to save your kid's soul. You can't save it from shielding them from temptation. This is what it says in Romans 1. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I'm saying if we are going to survive this hypersexualized culture as people and as parents, we need to proclaim the power of the gospel. That Jesus is not trying to turn gay people into straight people. Jesus is trying to take dead people and make them alive. He's not trying to take transgender people and make them, uh, make them transnormative. He's trying to take trans people and he's trying to make them born again. He is not trying to convert this idea into something else. He is saying, I want to save people because he knows this one thing. If one person will come to the foot of the cross and have a revelation of Jesus, a thousand more minor problems will disappear. A thousand more problems. What the devil wants to do is say, look how big this little problem is over here. And what we need to respond to the devil with, but look what Jesus did on that cross. Look what he did in my life. God, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And I know what the word of the Lord spoke to me. I know what he spoke to me about my kid. Even though he, he or she might not be living in it, I refuse to give up on what you've spoken to me, Lord. You need to remind the devil that he is a defeated foe. You need to remind the devil that he might have your kid for this season, but there will come a day that the gospel will penetrate their heart and your kid, your son, your grandchild will destroy the works of the enemy. We have too many parents and grandparents who are wallowing in fear because of what might happen and how it's affecting their life. And we have two little grandparents who are saying, just wait, devil. Just wait, devil. Because wait till they see Jesus. They are destroying the works of the enemy when that happens. Every, gro- every piece of ground that you took, we're taking double that once Jesus comes into the equation in their life. We have to stop wallowing in fear and start declaring the power of the gospel over our families and over our lives. Jesus is the only one who can take a dead person and make them alive. He's the only person who can take a lost person and make them found. He's the only person who can make a, uh, take a sinner and make them holy. He is the only one. We need to start declaring that. If you're a single parent and you have, you have joint custody with your kid and they're in uh, one home one weekend, another home another weekend, and you're concerned about the values of that home versus the values of your home, do not underestimate the power of the light of the gospel in your home. I will argue, I'll just say this, the stark difference between your home and their home can be the light that Jesus uses. The peace in your home versus the chaos in their home can be the very thing that draws them to the feet of Jesus. So instead of voicing your frustration in front of your kid, you need to voice and declare the power of the gospel. He is able, friends. Jesus has been saving sinners for 2,000 years. What we're going through right now is not that big of a deal. In Ephesus, 
They were, uh, one of their religious practices was to sleep with prostitutes in the temple, not, the, not this Jewish temple, in the pagan temple in Ephesus in, two, in the year shortly after Jesus was, was alive, the first century. In the first century in Corinth, there was rabid sexual immorality where there were people in the church who were having sex with their mother-in-laws. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians. So s- sexual perversion is not new to God. It's not new. He's, he has saved people before. He will continue to save people. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Christianity is the only religion that has a savior. Every other religion requires works or works from a previous life in order to inherit eternal life. Christianity is the only religion with a savior. His name is Jesus. And he died on a cross 2,000 years ago to take away the sins of the world. And in Romans, it says this promise that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. It is not by your works. It is not by your family lineage. It is not by your income. It is not by your morality. It is not by any of those things. There is one name by which man can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. It is as simple to be saved. It is as simple as recognizing that you are a lost sinner and that you need saving. And then it is recognizing that Jesus is that Savior. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to say a prayer right now. And I want you to repeat after me. And if you feel like today is your day to give your life to Jesus, to be forgiven and to be saved and to, and to have a new life in God, I want you to pray this prayer and mean it from your heart. Everyone else, would you pray with me as well? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me in the midst of all my sin in the midst of all my brokenness. I recognize you as Lord and Savior. I give you my life, all of its broken pieces. And from this day forward, I choose to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.